This is episode 106 with Tim Ray of Carnivore Club. This is Crowdfunding Uncut, the place where creators and entrepreneurs come to learn how to launch a successful crowdfunding campaign. Here's your host, Kirsten Ross. I want to take a second to thank Gadgetflow for sponsoring this episode. Guys, if you are looking for an awesome platform to get your crowdfunding project in front of over 25 million people per month, you should absolutely check them out. They are the third largest Indiegogo partner and listed on Kickstarter as experts. And not to mention, they've worked with over 4,000 crowdfunding projects since 2012. Their platform also now supports AR and VR, which I thought was a really cool add-on. To find out more, you should definitely head over to thegadgetflow.com slash submit to list your crowdfunding project today, but be sure to use coupon code UNCUT10 to get 10% off your services with them. Hey guys, welcome to another episode. This is 106. I'm Kirsten, and today I have the pleasure of having Tim Ray on the podcast. Um, He is the founder of Carnivore Club, which is, you know, I'll let him pitch it because he is um, A, the owner of it, but he just does such a fantastic job. And... um, the reason I wanted to bring Tim on is up until I met him, I think a couple of years ago um, in the e-commerce scene in here in Toronto, I really didn't think you could successfully crowdfund for a subscription-based service. So this episode today is really going into if you're looking at creating a a, um, a product that you can sell more than one time, which is essentially what the subscription model is how to properly set yourself up to do that and really take a deep dive into how they successfully did it to launch Carnivore Club. And um, also like, you know, Tim and I keep grabbing drinks through friends. And eventually I was like, you know, we keep having such inter- and interesting conversations. It's like wanted to bring you on the podcast. So Tim, I'm so happy that you're here and thanks for taking the time out of your day. Thanks for having me. It's great. So um, as you know, we're going to keep this pretty off cuff, don't have any set questions, but I do love to get started with um, you introducing yourself a little bit. So can you um, give us a high level of what Carnivore Club is and why you started it? Yeah, um, I, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll back up. So I mean, so Carnivore Club is a subscription e-commerce business that we launched in 2013 it's my, uh, you know, so- sophomore e-commerce venture. I started and sold uh, a previous e-commerce venture to uh, Torstar or Toronto Star Media called foodscrooge.com, which was in the uh, group buying or uh, daily deal space. Um, and uh, got lucky to do really well in that. And, you know, during my earnout uh, period in that uh, company um, is when, you know, that Dollar Shave Club uh, campaign blew up. And I was, you know back, you know, working for the man, <laughs> trying to, you know, make my earn out, uh, which luckily we did. But, um, you know, think about what's next. Do I get another job? Do I start another company? And when they, you know, crushed it with that video, I was like, you know what, this is a cool space. And, I, you know, it started brainstorming what we could get into um, in that recurring revenue model. And, uh, you know, really like the wine club um, scene, you know, there's just like tons of wine clubs. And, you know, the reason why I feel like there's so many wine clubs and why they do so well is because there's so much uh, fragmentation uh, in the space and, and there's so many stories to tell. You know, you can have like a, a Merlot, a Cab Sauv, a Riesling, you know, all these different grape varietals, but you could have them done by a thousand different sommeliers and uh, each one will taste like uniquely different, right? Even though they're the same grape. So based on soil, climate, you know, um, barrels that they're aged in, so on and so forth. So, um, you know, the same kind of... Um, core principle of like craftsmanship and artisanal qualities 
also applied to charcuterie. And so we invented Carnival Club to try and emulate that, you know, wine club model, but for, you know, fancy premium cured meats. So the idea that, you know, a chorizo isn't just a chorizo, you could have like a a hundred different Italian dudes, you know, making chorizo and based on the breed of pig, the, you know, where they're being aged, the, you know, spices, the salts, all these things are, you know, different ingredients and um, interpretations that people can use to make, you know, the same name product tastes totally different from one to the next. So, um, you know, Carmichael was really created to discover and celebrate kind of like that same artisanal um, diversity within the, you know, meat category. Um, and from a business perspective, you know, meat um, is it just a bit of a, an awesome category because, you know, in order to have a really high value e-commerce business, you want to be in a category that's like, um, you know, lightweight, durable, and in the high margins, that way you can deliver uh, your product at a comparable price to your local alternatives. You know, it's the reason why, you know, fashion, vitamins, um, you know, a lot of these uh, certain categories are really popular on e-commerce because um, they are so, so high value comparable to their, their weight. Whereas you look at, let's say, beer or wine, and despite wine being like uh, popular, you know, it's heavy, it's breakable. And majority of it's fairly like low margin, whereas meat is like the highest, most expensive thing in the grocery store. You dehydrate it. So now it's like shelf stable. You know, now we're, you know, we have this like really high value, low weight item that we can deliver to the end consumer for, you know, comparable to your farmer's market charcuterie. And so from a, from a business uh, metrics perspective, you know, charcuterie was a, a really attractive category as well that was not being um, served uh, when we launched. So I guess that's kind of like the long and short of, what Karma Club is and, and, you know, why we got into it. Yeah, I like it. Um, at the time, so you launched in Canada. So we, we launched with a, a crowd cam, uh, crowdfunding campaign for both Canada and the U.S. simultaneously. Okay. Awesome. Um, and, you know, I see, you know, so being in the, being aware of the crowdfunding space for quite a while before we got into it, um, if, you know, your viewers haven't seen our video yet, you know, we took a very, uh, unconventional approach to your crowdfunding video. Um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, we put a lot of, we romanticize what we do with like this farm and table thing. But at the end of the day, Carmen Club is just, you know, meat in a box. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's meat in a box delivered to your door. And, you know, it's really uh, outrageously nice packaging and a cool story and awesome products. But at, at the end of the day, a lot of these crowdfunding campaigns try to go for this like, you know, very emotional, tear jerker, inspirational approach. And we just thought it was too, you know, it didn't resonate. It wasn't my style. And we wanted to just have a little bit more fun with it and really mm-hmm. set ourselves apart. You know, it's all about how do you cut above the noise? And um, so, you know, for us, the video that we got was the only reason why we, the, and our approach was the only reason why, why we were able to be successful launching in the U.S. off the start. Because, you know, we didn't have any personal network that was able to give us that you know, early momentum in the US, um, you know, we did all the best practices as far as like getting your, you know, your, your, your uh, early adopters to like promote you to get that, that early traction so that way you can get picked up on, on the news feeds and stuff. But um, it was our video where the, you know, Indiegogo head office saw our video, you know, Busta got laughing and said, all right, we have to put this on our, like our top five hot picks for the week. <laughs> and like overnight we had uh, just like insane momentum in the US market, which really, um, is what, what allowed us to launch successfully uh, in, uh, south of the border. Yeah, because you guys went on to raise over 20K for this, which is awesome. 
Yeah, I mean, um, okay, it's not, you know, it's not a million bucks. You know, I, I was uh, lucky to be a seed investor with, you know, Nixware who crushed it with their women's bra campaign. They did over a million dollars. And you know, there's so many people are doing like, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have done better and done more money with us. Yeah, sure. But, um, you know, I didn't hire someone awesome like you to help us. So we were really just spending it by ourselves, you know, trying to figure it out. So, um, but for us, you know, we, we spent 13 grand on our video. We raised 22 grand. Obviously the meat cost money. So, we, you know, net net, we actually lost money on our campaign, mm-hmm. but the whole idea of the campaign was not to make money. It wasn't really needed, uh, to fund, raise funds to start the company. It was really just to get critical mass so that when we launched, uh, you know, and had our first month of orders from our suppliers, we didn't have like, we weren't starting from nothing from scratch, right? We wanted to have, um, you know, a few hundred orders per region to get going um, and then build from there. And, and that's what we did. And so, you know, long-term, it was a really successful approach for us. Yeah, I actually think that's something that a lot of, um, so the, because we were an agency, I do a lot of sales calls where people come to me and ask me what it would take to launch their product and for us to, to do that. And I find that a lot, about 50% of people that actually find out the costs of, not saying we're expensive, but they find out the costs of running a campaign properly through the Facebook ad spend, the video, and really all the upfront marketing costs that it takes to have a six-figure plus campaign. And some of them are like, so you're, how much money should I be looking to make off this crowdfunding campaign? I'm like, you're looking at it the wrong way. Like my goal ultimately is to help you price yourself so that you break even on the campaign. Because what a lot of people don't see, which is kind of like my mission with this whole crowdfunding thing is like you, and you were saying this earlier when we weren't recording, where people look at crowdfunding campaigns as launching a product versus a company. And ultimately you need to look at crowdfunding as if you are launching a company. And yeah. unfortunately, you know, even though some people might think, oh my God, Tim, I can't believe you lost money on your campaign. But the reality is you were able to launch an international brand because of what you did on Indiegogo. Yeah, you know, crowdfunding is not a get-rich-quick uh, scheme. You know what I mean? And I think maybe a lot of people who are not familiar with entrepreneurship or, you know, the space feel like, okay, I'm going to get in this, I'm going to make a few bucks and I can just do different campaigns all the time and just make money. Um, you know, Carver Club is doing over, you know, 3 million year uh, in revenue, uh, you know, three and a half years in um, from a $22,000 campaign that we started um, on Indiegogo that we lost money on. But it was all about just getting the, the wheel started to, you know, get the company off the ground with the critical mass, getting things excited, uh, like excited with the video. You know, that video on our crowdfunding campaign, we leveraged to, you know, get our vendors excited to get like our customers excited. Um, you know, we used it for, um, you know, years after the actual, um, years after the actual, you know, just crowdfunding campaign 30 day period, you know? Yeah, it's, it's really true. And I think um, that's one of the, the, avenues I see crowdfunding morphing into as before it used to be a get rich quick scheme where everyone and their dog was like, let me teach you how to have a successful campaign. But then issues came to light with like fulfillment and costs and and stuff like that. And I think that as the industry matures, um, there are going to be a lot more brands that use it as an opportunity to launch that product and future scope it. And I think the the spend will be a bit more manageable up front, but ultimately you're starting a business. 
Yeah, so, but I mean, that's one of the things where you see so many people are uh, do a, an amazing Kickstarter for that product, but then they actually don't become successful businesses, and it, it falls off there because you know they're not thinking really long term. So, I, I yeah. yeah. Um, when I uh, so if some how I like to form some of my questions is like, okay, if I were to be the one to have launched Carnivore Club, how would I have done it? And I think. Uh, I'd love to talk a bit about how you got your vendors and your suppliers lined up um, before you had any critical mass, anything, because it's like the typical way, like when we launched the Jamstack or Taplock or any of our other products is we have a prototype, we get the funding, and then we figure out the manufacturing. How did that look for you? Like you, you keep um, alluding to getting your vendors excited and stuff like that. So did you have these guys like lined up ahead of your campaign and, and how, I just love to talk about that process prior to being able to fulfill. Cause I just, I see your supply chain as being a little complicated, maybe having been complicated to figure out initially. Yeah, it's definitely complicated. I mean, so there's no international shipping with us. Each country is its own club. And so we're sourcing vendors. Uh, so, you know, we have four countries and four clubs that are uh, featuring, a, you know, different artisan each month. Um, so, you know, for us, these, uh, you know, these artisans, they're not, you know, they don't have great websites. They're not, you know, optimized for SEO, right? So I can't just Google, you know, charcuterie and just find like small artisan guys, right? They make meat, they suck at, you know, e-commerce or websites. So for us, it was, you know, just like guerrilla tactics, typing in like, salami pittsburgh or you know prosciutto seattle and trying to figure out like keyword things and you know for for the campaign to, you know to be honest we had i think one supplier for canada lined up we didn't really have a whole like year lined up yet because we had no idea if it was gonna be successful or not we just knew that there was lots of companies and uh you know we're just like faking it until we made it you know what i mean as far as uh you know forecasts we we're like you know somewhere between you know 200 and 500 orders you know we we're just kind of pulling numbers out of our thin air <laughs> um and you know i guess it's kind of my my approach to entrepreneurship in general is is you know just being able to like duck and weave and pivot on the fly problem solve you know become a spin doctor you know what i mean you're not necessarily going to have everything lined up nice and neatly um and you know, to be successful, you, you never will. Or otherwise, by the time you have it all lined up, you're going to be like missed your window of opportunity anyways. Um, I really feel like, you know, if we were to launch crowdfunding camp, uh, Karma Club in a crowdfunding campaign right now, I don't think we would have been as successful as we would have been like four years ago because um, the subscription box space in general is a lot more saturated, right? And, um, you know, when we went on, we were on Dragon's Den for a Carnivore Club and we went on with... Um, you know, I think it was just like a, a month or two, a few months of sales, maybe five months of sales. And, um, you know, we didn't really have a lot of um, track record to go in front of the the den and, you know, for, more for the marketing space. But, you know, we were like to wait an entire another year for auditions when there's like lots of these subscription box space, uh, companies coming along that could maybe be on um the den and instead of us you know they're only going to put so many subscription box companies on tv so we, we want to be we'd rather be early than late so um you know I, I, hopefully that answers your question yeah it's so did you get pricing of the vendors before you launched or did you wait until you actually had some preliminary numbers and then went to them so we had a we had a formula so you know we knew that we could spend this much 
per month on Box. And we knew that the value prop was, okay, we're going to provide you all the free marketing. And, you know, on our, on our box, we have a, a budget of like, you know, 18 to 20 bucks for the cost of the meat. And we say that we need a 40 to $45 retail value in the box. It's basically like we're getting part of that cost in exchange for free marketing and, you know, sampling. Right. And so we knew the value proposition and, and, but we didn't actually like line up. We didn't actually like line up specific box features until we had a success, successful campaign. Cause we wrapped up our campaign. We launched it in September we finished our campaign in October. We didn't launch our website until like November 1st. So we had a little bit of time between like actually closing the campaign and like hurrying up to figure out like what we're actually going to give people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we had an idea, but nothing was actually like, like nailed down. It was literally just on the fly. So, okay. Just taking a look at your campaign page right now, did you keep it pretty high level like you didn't say box one month one is going to include these specific ingredients you just kept it as vague as possible until you could hammer out the suggestion it was literally just a one month this price three month package of that price a full year uh price and i think we gave like a, a discounted price on our campaign. yeah he did versus, uh versus like the regular price um you know and so like that kind of like bag you know box of meat not really knowing what it is like that was a lot more i feel like that was a lot more exciting and acceptable when like the space was early and now there's so much like customization and um and and customization like now that like it wouldn't wouldn't be as attractive as a as a as a, a reward strategy but you are so right with that because backers even just like you know, because when we have campaigns live, we don't do customer support, but I get the customer support questions. And a lot of the times, if you are really vague on something, so if we had done Carnivore Club now, people would have said, well, what is inbox one? I don't know if I like this specific meat. And you really have to be super dialed in and, and have as much, it's basically like putting your financial projections on Kickstarter without actually putting your projections. Like that's how detailed you need to be because crowdfunding is a, a more uh, competitive space that backers really need to see the trust factor and to see that we have thought this through in a lot of detail. Yeah. The space is really, really changed, but um, why did you decide to do Indiegogo? Um, as opposed to like a traditional brand launch thing in the past. Um, you mean versus just launching the company without doing a crowdfunding campaign? Um, you know, I mean, I guess twofold. We, you know, didn't want the pressure of, um, you know, possibly only having 20 orders our first month. Um, we didn't really have a, a paid media strategy, like our entire first year and a half of, of Karma Club was all like earned media PR um, trying to get on as many gift guide lists. So we launched just before Christmas. And so we thought it was like a natural um, way to build some brand awareness uh, about us before, um, you know, the whole Christmas gift guide list came um, in, in the late fall. And at the time when we launched in 2013, carpeting was still relatively new. People were still covering campaigns. You know what I mean? Um, just because like the crafting space was still relatively in its infancy. So um, there was just like a whole PR piece around being on a crowdfunding campaign in general. Um, Cause it was really still capturing people's imagination and, and all the, you know, that new car kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. Like cool uh, new business. 
Yeah. So, um, you know, it was, it was just like really good timing for us. And, uh, you know, we're launching a new company in the spring. Um, and we're not going to do crowdfunding for that one. We're just going to do a traditional business launch because, um, you know, we, we feel like, um, well, first of all, me being a multiple time successful entrepreneur is tougher for me to pull up people's heartstrings and get them to support me when I'm already doing pretty well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyways, that was, you know, that was a reason it was really just because we wanted, uh, a way to raise money and get critical mass without having to spend tons of money on ad dollars. Obviously if I had hired, uh, you know, someone like yourself to like coach us and know what we, what we'd done, we probably would spend money on, I didn't know that you could spend money on Facebook ads for your crowdfunding campaign. It's a big thing now. Yeah. There's all these, I don't even, you know, I I didn't know a lot of the best practices other than um, really just getting, you know, emailing every single person, you know, and trying to get them to support you and then hopefully getting some sort of like momentum on the, you know, trending section. Right. That was of our, of our uh, expertise at the time, but it was enough for us to uh, have a jumping off point, which we could, you know, which we leveraged uh, well afterwards. For sure. I'm wondering how, um, after your campaign finished and you mentioned you got your website up and everything, I think you said November 1st, like a few months after, how did you make the transition? What does this look like? Um, the two, three, four months after you launched and you got funded to fulfillment, to starting to capture orders on your website and turning this into a real fulfillment based business. Like, yeah, I mean, so we launched our website November 1st. It was like, uh, super buggy like i've never <laughs> launched a company that was like even now our, our, we're launching a new website next tuesday and even four years in our website is sucks <laughs> you know what i mean we're like there's so many bugs that we just are used to like like working with and so um you know uh you know it, it was painful you know it was like 3 a.m you know nights trying to like figure out what i'm going to do like you know uh how i'm going to ship it how I'm going to create like, like 300 uh, shipping labels. You know what I mean? Like we you know, kind of launched the website and the crowdfunding campaign without really even figuring out how we're going to like not handwrite every label individually. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like all these kinds of things that no one teaches you, you just kind of like teach yourself on the fly by like virtue of necessity. You know what I mean? So, um, and then, you know, we're, uh, and then just hardcore customer service, uh, you know, apologizing to everyone that, you know, for not being more professional. <laughs> uh man. Did you um were you able to fulfill on time? Yeah, yeah. So we, we Awesome. Good. Filled orders on time. We uh you know, we had we you know, broke a few rules uh <laughs> we learned quickly on different stuff. Um you know, for example, we just launched in Australia last Christmas. Yeah. Launched without actually being formally like set up as a business in Australia first, which was like some problems associated with that. We're just like, yeah, we'll figure it out as we go. Right. And that's kind of like, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, you need a, like a business number to operate. And uh, we have like, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars worth of like, you know, packaging assets and product that we need to like figure out what we're going to do with. Right. So, Long story short, you know, do your research, I guess. <laughs> Man, like how did, so you started North America and then you branched, you went to the UK? Yeah, so the, we okay. launched in November and then the very next summer we went to the UK like right away. Amazing. We just really wanted to put our flag down there and say, you know, 
we're here and uh you know we're so that we we didn't you know there's that whole tropicalization where you get a lot of copycats mm-hmm. but when we were launching in australia we came across this company called uh the cured cut club which had like folded before we launched but they literally ripped off like every single piece of our branding assets like from our forward boxes to our like our insert design to like everything it was like wow yeah it was actually kind of flattering i was like this is like legit that people actually went through the trouble to like directly like rip off my brand for australia um and then they you know they ran it for a few months and couldn't figure it out because they didn't you know know how the the logistics operated so man how do you so I'm going to ask you one question, like, how do you figure out what your next market is? But the second thing, uh, I know you had some issues, like, even with the fulfillment side of Australia that I'd like to get into. Just, um, I know it's not really crowdfunding, but it's big part of the crowdfunding problems that happen are because people are inexperienced with that other half of the business, which is manufacturing and fulfillment. So um, how do you decide what market is the right one for you next to go into? Uh, geographically or product-wise? Geographically. Yeah, country. I mean, I think I've pretty much tapped it. Like, you know, lo- the reason why we went to Australia was because um, we were just getting a lot of organic inquiries through Facebook and customer service uh, from people asking if we shipped to Australia, when are we, like, launching in Australia, blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, we were riding, like, high, like, you know, 100% plus year-over-year growth for our first, like, three years, and we're, like, basically thought we were invincible so we're like all right let's do australia you know who cares about the 15 hour time difference or the fact that it's like like 40 degrees celsius and like meat melts in the sun you know what i mean like all these kinds of things so that launch couldn't have went worse um we're still there but we're definitely like wagging our tail between our legs right now uh trying to position ourselves for like a really good christmas this year but yeah that was a uh a learning curve for sure. When you say the launch was bad, are you talking about revenue-wise or uh, sales-wise? Are you talking about just the, okay, people have ordered, but now we really got to figure out the other side? Yeah, so we we actually, like, so we hired a PR firm in Australia. We launched a video. uh, We spent, like, 25 grand on a video for Australia, which was called uh, Meet Your Match. Uh, There's a website called meetyourmatch.com, like M-E-A-T. It's like a, a mock dating website and there's like a, a funny video to go with it but um so we we, we crushed our target on, on our first month we wanted to do um you know just like like 15k in sales our very first month just launching very like organically and through mm-hmm. PR, not like a big paid strategy and i think we did like close to 25k in november when we launched but then we quickly realized that our logistics partner like our 3pl in australia was like completely full of shit and um it was you know the, the way things work there were t- very different than here we try to use like a ref- like a refrigerated um courier service and you know in canada us and europe you know we put our packages through the postal carrier and we get a tracking number and so from the time we give it to them to the time it goes to the customer's door we have complete transparency with these guys you know it was like a black box we give them the package and we have no idea if and when it was delivered, like the driver says he dropped it off. It's like a, he said, she said, like, you know, it was, it was a disaster. Packages were getting delivered and left it in the sun. Um, you know, and then on top of that, they only delivered to like, you know, the local urban area. So like Sydney or Brisbane or, um, 
you know, Adelaide. And it was up to us to find like an LTL carrier to ship it between cities to their hubs, which like that's not even like our, our core competency or do we have any relationships in that space? So it came at the time where, at Christmas where like we, we delivered everything in November. Uh, it was not a good experience. And then all of our Christmas gifts we couldn't deliver for Christmas. We had to wait until January t- to deliver them because we couldn't get any trucks to ship them to other cities um, to, to get delivered in time. So it was like, we went from like, you know, having great momentum to, you know, just like trying to like, you know, do maybe, you know, five, $6,000 a month in sales, just enough to like, um, cover costs, I guess. Just to, you know, have some sort of membership that way. Cause we always, our strategy is we don't have a big, like, 365 evergreen paid media strategy we spend money only on seasonal and use that like seasonal um boost as like a way to like increase our base throughout the rest of the year because the idea being that you know you give a gift to someone at christmas they might open up up in front of like 10 or 20 people so that each gift recipient is like a node for like 20 like eyeballs Mm -hmm. versus like you know a birthday or father's day might be like only you know a couple people like it's very like you know societal that you uh, would you get for christmas right and so a box yeah. is probably like one of the things that you would mention because it's probably the more unique items um so long story short is we're you know we we've basically just been on survival mode in australia for the last 10 months and uh we're just gearing up for a big christmas this year so that way we can like start kicking ass again and we've changed our business model we're using australia post and we've you know totally revamped everything but um you know it um, if I were to go back to this time last year, about to launch in Australia, I wouldn't have done. I wouldn't have done it. Because <laughs> like, you know, when, yeah. when I do business in Australia, their business day starts at like they're 15 hours ahead, so it's like their like 8 a.m. is like our 6 p.m. Yep. So like when I'm dealing with someone there, it's like midnight here. You know what I mean? Like, um, you know, and we, we don't have uh, any office. We don't have any employees in any other countries other than Canada. So everything is from, it's only, we only operate based on, you know, our three PLs operating as a extension of us. Right. So if you don't have a good three PL, then um, they can make a bit, break your business really quickly. What does three PL stand for? Third party logistics. Okay. Makes, yeah. Like makes sense. Partner, yeah. I keep hearing that term get thrown around. I'm like, I just want to ask what it is. So, (laughs) but uh, no, that makes sense. I mean, what do you think is the number one best decision you made on the business post crowdfunding? And what was the worst besides Australia? Cause we've just talked about that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, um, you know, post crowdfunding, you know, for us, crowdfunding was really just the, you know, start to what we thought was going to be a, a, a really cool, fun company, right? And, you know, crowdfunding was just like our way to like, you know, enter into the world. Um, post, post, you know, our most successful decisions were really around um, investing in really premium aesthetics and packaging. And um, we probably have the most expensive boxes of anyone in the industry. We spend about um, two dollars US on our on our on our boxes, where most people are spending like less than fifty cents, and it's because we wanted uh, people to get our box, and you know, it to give you like a a legit like wow factor, like wow, this is like a real company, this is a cool service, 
Um, and because we were giving like meat in the mail, we didn't want there to be any sort of sort of like, you know, shady, you know, weird salami in the mail in some like poor graphics, you know what I mean? We wanted to be a very premium, trustworthy brand. Um, uh, so I guess our PR packaging and then also continuing to invest in videos. We did a, um, because of our crowdfunding video that was really successful, um, one of my friends who's an award-winning copywriter um, works for a tier one ad agency, uh, Leo Burnett. You know, they brought us on, on as a pro bono client and started doing like uh, work for us for free just because they really like the brand and they wanted to do cool work where they don't have like people like critiquing everything they say or do. Right. So um, you see like ad agencies working for like beer brands or CPGs or, you know, banks, um, you know, in order for them to uh, keep their high billable hours, they have to like win awards and mm-hmm. when they do really creative work for let's say a bank. It gets watched, you know, the original idea gets, you know, negotiated down through like 20 middle managers and you know the ideas get usually gradually like less um less less cool less innovative less creative and so sometimes they'll take on brands like us where we just want awesome work and so um you know they did a a video for us that's on our website now which um we spent 20 grand on just for the cost hard cost of the video but the video would have normally cost a regular company like 250 to 300,000 to produce um, we did another video when he worked for Leo Burnett uh, called Fuck Up Insurance. So if your audience goes to uh, fuckupinsurance.com, uh, it's literally like a mock insurance website. And the video um, is kind of like the opening scene from old school. Um, you've seen it, right, Kirsten? I haven't. You haven't seen it? I haven't seen it. I am so going to watch it after this. Dude, I still laugh when I see this video. Um, so it's totally off the cuff. It's literally like the guy uh the wife is having like a gangbang when he gets home <laughs> um but she got him a gift uh subscription to carnival club so basically the the box of carnival club was like fuck up insurance so he, he she could do whatever she wants right and he was he wouldn't be mad so it's kind of like we were positioning carnival club as preemptive gift giving you know um so oh i love it was, you know our our decision to go really bold uh with her branding and not not to like um not to penny pinch um, on, on the branding uh, really helped pay dividends for, you know, opportunities in the future and help us get to where we are without, you know, funding um, from outside sources. Um, I think the, the biggest mistake we've made um, other than obviously Australia was um, last year. Um, you know, we were really in the hype of trying to scale and, and top on revenue and we, um, spent way too much on unprofitable ad spend at Christmas, which like had detriment, detrimental effect, uh, effects. We tried to like spend a ton of money on podcast ads. Um, you know, Joe Rogan podcast was probably one of the worst investments we ever made. You know, all these podcasts where you have like people stacking like five uh, radio ads at the beginning of of the podcast, and it becomes routine where people just skip to the five minute mark to get to the real show. Yeah, yeah. Um, it you know we were spending 10,000 us per spot. Um, I think we spent like 50 grand on that podcast and we got maybe 200 uses of his promo code. So it was a really, you know, <laughs> we didn't make it. Ouch. Yeah. There was a few examples like that, but that was the one that was probably like the most, um, the one that, that was out there. So we spent about 300 grand on, on advertising last Christmas that 
was really not profitable and, and um, learned from that mistake. So we've really adjusted our approach this time. So, um, so what ads, I mean, what, yeah, what revenues of paid media were profitable for you that you're now focusing on this year? Yeah, I mean, um, so we've just brought on a new, a new joint partnership with a with the agency that's going to be doing. Um, so part of part of the problem is is too that we're on a custom site uh, which doesn't have a lot of like you know plugins or or tools for analytics. Um, we can't create custom landing pages very easily, so we're switching to Magento. And part of our approach for this year is we're launching um, this new website, which um, is going to have like ability to do all kinds of stuff when it comes to you know um, top of the funnel uh, to the bottom of the funnel, like like and um, retargeting stuff that we, we just couldn't do before. And um, we're going to be going a lot heavier on our, our on our social media uh, paid advertising, which we traditionally haven't done very much of. Um, and we're we're gonna be laying laying off on the podcasting uh, this year, and uh, and next year we're gonna be launching a marketplace. So today we've only been a subscription business, um, and a lot of our artisans that um, people like get a product and they love it and they can't reorder it. Um, because the person doesn't do e-commerce or, you know what I mean? Or their shipping costs are ridiculous because they charge 15 bucks for shipping and then they just won't do it. So we're going to be launching a marketplace and, and try to be a, also a go-to for all different like artisanal cured meats um, in the space, uh, which we were hoping is going to add like a, another big uh, revenue stream for us. That is so smart. Thanks. It- <laughs> Yeah, because you're so right. That's a very untapped market. Um, did you get that idea from multiple inquiries and just like knowing your audience or? Yeah, I mean, so we do, you do get a lot of inquiries about like, you know, how do I get this like, you know, product again that they got in the mail? Um, and then also like, you know, a lot of our artisans didn't like the fact that they only get to work with us every like once every 18 to 24 months. You know, a lot of like these people that we work with once will do like, you know, a few thousand orders um, for that country that we're in, but um, we won't work with them again for for a long time, right? So they want to see some something sort of like sustainable, building momentum all the time. And plus, you see, like guys, you know, that we respect in the space, like Try the World or you know other um, you know uh, subscription box uh, businesses evolving their model uh, beyond just uh, the pure subscription play to having some sort of like. Um, you know, on-demand marketplace. Yep. Nope. That makes a lot of sense. Oh, this has been awesome. I think uh, I just want to wrap it up with one last question. Do you have any famous last words? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, famous last words for me is always uh, don't be the person to say coulda, shoulda, woulda. You know, uh, swing for the fences and better go down in flames and not try it all. It's a great quote. I swear I didn't ask you to have that prepared ahead of time. No. <laughs> that was gold. Okay, well, this is amazing. Thanks again for coming on. Um, if you, I mean, where's the best place to send people if they are like, I want to learn more and maybe order some meat for myself? Yeah, uh, you know, uh, I'm usually pretty generous with uh, with my time. If people want uh, to ping me, they can email me at uh, tim at carnivoreclub.ca. Uh, if you want to buy meat, want to use a promo code, uh, they can go to carnivalclub.co 
and use promo code uh, LinkedIn15. I'll give you 15% off. LinkedIn15? Yeah. Awesome. We'll put those in the show notes. And uh, other than that, uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, this has been great. Let's go grab that drink after work sometime because we also realized that he's three blocks away from me, which is awesome. So anyways, thanks a lot, guys. That wraps up episode 106. Hey, guys, that wraps up yet another episode. I know if you made it this far, you are obviously interested in crowdfunding at some capacity. You should head over to crowdfundingproductlaunchacademy.com. We have a monthly membership full of project creators, people just like you that are embarking on their crowdfunding journey for the first time. And if you are looking for a little bit of extra support, head over there. If you just want to get your feet wet, you should head over to crowdfundinguncut.com to check out not only other podcast episodes, but we do have a free physical product launch checklist that will outline basically a map of and a roadmap of, of how to scope out a campaign and actually do it from start to finish. And it's one that has been field tested and we've created it from the ground up by helping multiple campaigns um, raise over $2 million. So yeah, apart from that, I love you, appreciate you. And I'm just, uh, looking forward to seeing you guys in the ecosystem. So take care. Are you launching a product on either Kickstarter or Shopify and you're feeling completely overwhelmed with the process? Hi there, my name is Kirsten, the CEO of Launch and Scale. To date, we've helped several online sellers sell millions of dollars online and scale their business from zero to seven figures by focusing on building an audience of fans that will actually convert into paying customers. If you're serious about building a seven-figure e-commerce brand with less time and less risk, you should check out our product launch pad. PLP is a proven accelerator that takes you step-by-step through the process of launching and scaling your product brand. Brands like the Monk Manual, Aberlite, Series Chill, Jamstack, and several others were all launched using our product launch pad. So if you'd like to be our next success story, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more. And for a limited time, we're offering a seven-day trial of the product launch pad for only $1. Again, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more.